Hello, and welcome to the Learn, Lead, and Thrive podcast, part of the 2017 National Association of Chronic Disease Directors President's Challenge. I'm your host, Dr. Mayhul Dalal, and today we're going to be talking about public health leadership challenges for the 21st century with our guest, Dr. Ursula Bauer. I've known Ursula for several years in her capacity as a center director for the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion at the CDC. And I've appreciated her time in that position as a leader. She has consistently pushed all of us in the chronic disease prevention community to think much more intentionally and purposefully about how we can work together, doing our work better together. And that's been a common theme throughout these last few years that, that we've worked together. And it's just not on the conceptual side. She's had some real-world experience in executing organizational change in her own institution, and that fit with all the you know fits and starts organizational change entails. She's got that experience as well. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and learning from her insights. So welcome to the show, Ursula. Is there anything I missed in that introduction? Oh, no, that's plenty. Brief is great. Thanks. <laughs> great. So let's just jump right in. So could you start us off with a look at the overall context of where we are today and where we want to get to with respect to our field? Sure, Mayhul. Thanks so much. So we're in a place where there's a new interest in population health, new attention to population health from outside the public health sphere. We're in a place where people are worried about the cost of health care across our country and worried about the health of our population. We don't compare really very well across the developed countries, our peer countries. Our health status is not as high. We're also in a place of seismic changes to our healthcare system, especially around healthcare service payment, where we're trying to kind of operationalize the idea of paying for value and quality and real health outcomes rather other than just paying for services that may or may not get us anywhere. And that's leading to big changes in the way we deliver healthcare services. And like I said, a new awareness to population health, to those upstream causes of poor health and the barriers that impede both access to health care and people's ability to manage and maintain their own health. And that context opens up a lot of opportunity for public health. Now, where we want to get to is kind of the other side of that turmoil and change, if you will, where people are living in healthy communities, where people have a real opportunity to make healthy choices, and where both the need for health care is reduced because people are healthier and the health care that is delivered is of a higher quality and meeting people's needs. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And it's not just the health care system that is interested in population health, though that's kind of the most obvious example. But it seems like across the board, employers, other sectors are really interested in this idea of population health as a way to potentially reduce costs. Yeah, health care costs are a burden across the country, across levels of government, across sectors, people, individual people feel that burden in their pocketbook. Certainly employers feel that burden. And one of the realizations we have is that we're not getting value on the dollar for that health care expenditure. So that's prompting people to ask a lot of questions about how do we improve health overall and how do we better deliver health care. 
Yeah, that's a perfect segue into sort of my next question here. Now, we've talked a lot, the Weave as a community has talked a lot about, you know, what kind of vision we, do we want to set around healthy communities, healthy people, and we've been doing that for a number of years. But you have an interesting concept around the, you know, well, we have that vision, but what about the how we get their vision? You know, that's a necessary uh, complement to the where we want to go vision. Because Let's talk a little bit about that because that's an interesting frame and it touches on some foundational issues. That's exactly right, Mayhul. So how do we as leaders in public health chart that course to get us to that place where healthy people live in healthy communities and have real opportunities to make healthy choices and to access high-quality health care? There's, there's a few things that we need for this journey. I don't want to overdo this metaphor, but you know the roads are pretty bumpy and there are likely to be many unpredictable twists and turns and some long, barren stretches there without convenient places to sort of refuel and retool along the way. So we're not going to be able to uh, to get there on our own. We're going to need other drivers, other people to help us along the way. And, and that's a, a key message for the how we get their uh, vision. It's very much a collaborative vision. The people who help us along the way, those are partners, coalition members, team members within the health department, within government, across many sectors like housing, like transportation. There are community partners in community development and social services in a whole uh, host of areas. Making those connections and building those relationships will be critical to our success. The health of our communities depends on many non-health inputs and actors. So knowing those worlds, knowing those languages and those priorities, those that are outside of our public health sphere, uh, will, will help us get that other help to accomplish those broad goals that we can achieve together. And that's a great point. I mean, not to stretch the analogy even further, but it seems like, you know, on, on this road, we're not on this road alone, I guess seems sort of the, the key message there. But it begs the question about this whole idea of, you know, uh, we've wrestled with for a while in public health around, you know, the, the idea of a one true road or the one certain way to do things versus the many possible paths to get there. And you think that's a related concept to what you just discussed. Can you talk a little bit about some of the considerations there when we're kind of wrestling with this idea uh, between those two concepts? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say part of the context that we're in now is context of uncertainty. It's a bit of an unpredictable time, so we're not quite sure how healthcare system transformation is going to evolve and change over time, what the drivers and levers will be, when we'll reach the goal, or, or even if the, the goals are going to change. So there's some agility and flexibility that will be critical to that 21st century public health leadership and ability to kind of seize new opportunities as they arise or to create opportunities uh, when, they, when they don't arise, uh, when we have to make them ourselves. So that, that public health leader needs to be strategic, needs to be perceptive enough to know sort of who the allies are, whose interests align, and how people can work together. These skills will all be deployed in a variety of contexts, so it may be that the general plan doesn't fit for everyone. There's not 
you know, a single route, a single set of directions that will work for everyone. It's more likely that there's going to be a fair bit of maneuvering and adjusting and adapting and figuring things out for yourself from one community to the next and one state to the next. Likely, you know, we'll all draw on the same toolbox, but we're really going to have to customize our approaches for the context and the opportunities that we're situated within. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really an interesting point. It does strike me that sort of our public sector world is not quite set up to be agile and flexible and seize on opportunities. So it's thinking through this a little bit. It seems like we'll have to be adaptable and be a little bit more deliberate and careful about what kind of partners we look at. Maybe we look at partners that have this capacity to be agile and flexible while we in the public sector sort of work through some of the issues that come with that, executing on that type of leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. You know, building on the qualities and the capacities and the abilities that others have that are different from ours, that complement ours. Our partners can do things that we can't do. We can do things our partners can't do. And so really working together is the way to make progress, especially in a little bit of an unpredictable environment in which we find ourselves. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me is that in this, in times of uncertainty and unpredictability, people in their cubicles, in their offices, on the ground, in the field, a clear sense of what their role is or what it's going to be. And it strikes me that storytelling or telling or kind of developing a narrative of what we're doing could be helpful, but it's not something we really do well naturally, even though it seems like we should be doing it naturally public health perspective, we also often think linearly, you know, what's the most efficient way to get from A to B or how to best communicate this discrete pieces of information in an organized way. It doesn't lend itself to classic storytelling of heroes and villains and dramatic tension and, and the sort, but I'm, I'm wondering if that's something we got to get, get better at doing. You know, certainly how we communicate uh, work, the words that we use to talk about what we do, how we describe the unmet need that's out there, the tools, the interventions, the strategies that we have to deliver interventions that will make a difference, and then the impact that we have in terms of improving people's health. We're not very good at telling that story in a compelling way, connecting the dots for people so that they see the need, how we can meet the need, and then what happens in terms of improved health when we do meet that need. We use a lot of jargon in public health that I think gets in the way of clear communication. We use a lot of data and statistics, which are critical. We need data to help us chart the course and help us figure out our progress along the way. But we can get mired in that data and we can really mask the human face and the human suffering that's behind those data. So to your point, we absolutely need to improve our storytelling skills, if you will, improve the way we communicate about the importance of the public health work. Yeah, that's such a critical point. I read something recently around the fact that it, in order to maintain understanding and momentum around issues, you need to reinvent the language that you talk about it, which I thought interesting. I never thought of that before. Even though we're talking about the same concepts, it's important to kind of reinvent the language and the way we talk about it to maintain the interest and the compelling nature of what we do. So it's some food for thought. 
But anyway, we're coming up against the break here, so stay with us. When we return, we're going to talk about leadership tools and leverage points. Hi, this is Dr. Mehul Dalal with a quick break here. I know in the day-to-day bustle of work, it's not easy to study and apply leadership best practices. I also know that leadership is not about a particular individual who happens to be in a supervisory position. It's about working together to identify and cultivate these skills and capacities in each other and at all levels of the organization. Leadership skills should be foundational to all public health professionals as our field confronts change both from within and without. It's my hope that this year's National Association of Chronic Disease Directors President's Challenge, Learn, Lead, and Thrive, will draw attention to best practices, industry-leading thinking, and most importantly, practical advice on how to implement these concepts and techniques in our daily work. Please tune in to other episodes of this podcast where I talk with leading experts tackling important questions around professional development, succession planning, managing up, job satisfaction, and more. We've lined up exciting conversations with folks like Dr. Ursula Bauer, Dr. Gina Longi, Dr. Mark Lipton, Professor of Management at the New School, Drs. Amy Rosniewski and David Berg, both professors at Yale, and Dr. Ross Brownson of Washington University. To access the podcast, go to the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors President's Challenge webpage found at chronicdisease.org, where you'll also find links and resources related to this and other podcasts in this series. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Now let's pick it up and talk about some tools and leverage points where we might apply our leadership skills and practice. Can you start us off with a definition of collaboration and how we can appreciate collaboration as one of the most important tools at our disposal? Sure. So I think of collaboration as on the far end of a continuum of ways of working together within a complex system in support of a complex enterprise where we each have our individual role to execute. But how we execute that role, how great our contribution is to the larger enterprise, and how efficiently and effectively we contribute is driven in part by how much we connect, cooperate, coordinate, and collaborate with others. At a minimum, I think, we need to know who else is working in the space. So to use another metaphor, parallel play is okay. We do a lot of that in public health but it really helps to know who else is in the room and to have a basic understanding of how we share the space and how we stay out of each other's way and how the overarching work happens, like putting everything away at the end of the day. That's connection. The next level is cooperation. So here we might actually you know, share the Legos or share the Lincoln Logs, or in the public health space, we might share the tools and resources or cooperate and develop the tools and resources. Coordination then, moving down that continuum, is a bigger commitment to working together. We might coordinate our measures activity so that we're sensitive to the burden placed on those who provide those measures. We might join together in a healthcare systems intervention to put prompts and reminders into an electronic health record. Disease and risk factor programs might coordinate messaging related to scientific evidence on prevention and control measures. And then finally, there's collaboration, which is kind of the all-in way of working together. So every stage of this continuum 
is a way of working rather than end in itself. It's a way of working that recognizes the other actors and sectors that are engaged in the space, connected to, cooperated with, coordinated together, and collaborated with. Collaboration is the most intense, if you will. It brings multiple collaborators together to really jointly advance a mutual goal in a way that's more efficient and more effective and more successful than anyone could have done on their own. Step back in a second, as I love that analogy to toddlers because sometimes that's a little too apt. I'll leave that there. But it's actually a great framework to look at it. But can you talk a little bit about kind of the bumps in the road and the real-world challenges to achieving it? Any examples from your own experience around this? Well, you know, we don't always need to move around on the spectrum. Collaboration is not the goal. It may be that we simply need to connect or we simply need to cooperate. And it, it, it's fine to, you know, give, give ourselves the flexibility to choose where on that continuum makes the most sense for us to be working. When I think of the chronic disease prevention and health promotion work, I think of risk factors and diseases that are so interconnected and interrelated. I think of strategies that are basically the same, prevention strategies that are basically the same across a number of risk factors, across a number of diseases. So when I see that degree of interconnectedness and interdependence, it really begs the question uh, for me, why aren't the programs interdependent and interconnected too? Mm. Couldn't we get a lot more bang for the buck, if you will, by creating that level of interconnectedness and interdependence? And wouldn't that be a lot more efficient and effective? You mentioned the, the bumps in the road. You know, we all grew up in these disease and risk factor silos. So big bump is getting used to the idea of operating outside of a silo, getting used to the idea of giving up a little bit of control in exchange for a lot more leverage. And I think as we've tried to jump into this collaborative world, we've also maintained the siloed activity. So for us in the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion, what often happens is that we see the collaboration as additional work, not work that makes the enterprise work more smoothly and the goals easier to achieve. So collaboration is a way of working, as I said, and we haven't quite figured out the way of working that allows us to move beyond our siloed scope of work. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that here at the state level as well, it, especially when I certainly fully agree and actually really like how you put that, you know, giving up control to gain leverage. And that's certainly been my experience here. The problem is sometimes the leverage payoff is a little bit downstream and it doesn't relate to the immediate task at hand that potentially these burdens that what can be seen as burdens that are put on by collaboration take away from the kind of the current work or the immediate task at hand. But I feel like, you know, 
the, the leverage points speaking together in one voice around chronic disease prevention, health promotion, far outweigh those burdens. But it can be t- tough to get away from. It absolutely can be, and, and I'll go maybe a little bit out on a limb here. You know, I, I think we've gotten used to uh, a level of work and a level of achievement, and we haven't sort of stretched our thinking around how much more we could achieve in that collaborative space by working uh, collaboratively. So it seems like those gains are farther away or harder to make because we have a hard time letting go of the way we've always done it. Now, the proof is in the pudding, of course, and we haven't tasted the pudding yet. So it's a bit of a leap of faith for folks at this point. Yeah, I will have to count the metaphors we have during this podcast. That'll be interesting to do. Um, But I think that's a good kind of switch to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more in detail about these leverage points themselves. So I already touched on healthcare transformation and the impact that's had from an overall context perspective. But can you talk a little bit about the lessons we've learned over the last few years and the lessons we're continuing to learn around public health and for involvement with healthcare transformation? Sure. So there's so many opportunities and lessons from what we're seeing happening in healthcare transformation. I'll just focus on a few. So first, apropos of our collaboration discussion, transformation isn't focused on specific diseases and risk factors the way we in public health often are to our detriment, I would argue. Healthcare transformation is focused on big, audacious goals like improving health, improving healthcare quality, reducing healthcare costs. So that's already a lesson. You want to make huge progress, you've got to set big, big, audacious goals. Second, healthcare transformation is, is operating very much at the systems level. It's changing the way payments are made, changing the outcomes that we're driving toward, changing how the enterprise is organized. So operating at a high level where it can have very deep and wide reach, if you will. Third, it's sort of casting a broad net. So healthcare transformation, among many other things, is about integrating mental health, behavioral health, dental health. It's about treating the whole person, not just the disease. It's about looking at the underlying causes like transportation, like housing, like childcare, unemployment. It's about making connections, cooperating across disciplines, coordinating care. That's actually a goal, coordinated care, and collaborating to deliver quality and address the root causes. So these are all ways of working that that public health can embrace, areas where we have skills that we can bring to the table and that cry out for partnership. Yeah, I like that idea of setting our own big audacious goal. Often it feels that uh, for, for some folks uh, in the healthcare transformation field, public health is sort of the, could be considered the afterthought unless you're in there improving your value d- during these healthcare transformation discussions. I know some of my colleagues have experienced that in other states, that they're, they're not really engaged at the outset, and, and it feels like they could be an afterthought to the process where we really should be foundational to the process in the ways that you describe. I want to just continue on and think a little bit more about leverage points and kind of forecasting a bit for us 
some upcoming opportunities. And I reviewed some of the information coming out of the High Five initiatives, and I think that was really interesting in the way that's framed. Can you talk about some of the implications that will have for leadership going forward and maybe talk a little bit about High Five itself? By way of background, High Five or Health Impact in Five Years is an initiative that CDC launched in August that highlights non-clinical community-wide approaches that address health that have evidence of positive health impacts that produce those results within five years or less and that are cost-effective or cost-saving over the lifetime of the population. So if you are familiar with and you visualize that health impact pyramid that we often refer to in public health, where the bottom rung is the social and economic determinants of health, and then the second rung is those policy and environmental interventions that change the context within which health occurs, sort of making, uh, making the healthy choice easier and more available for people. It's at those two basic levels of the pyramid where the high-five interventions are located. And they are things in the changing the context level. There are interventions like school-based programs to increase physical activity, safe routes to school, the tobacco control interventions that we're so familiar with, smoke-free air laws and pricing strategies, their multi-component worksite obesity prevention interventions, interventions that change the context to make it easier for people to be healthy. So those that I just mentioned are all interventions that we're familiar with in public health. We're very comfortable in that policy and environmental change space. But the other six interventions that make up High Five are really down at that social and economic determinants level. And those interventions are early childhood education, clean diesel bus fleets, public transportation systems, home improvement loans and grants, earned income tax credits, and then one that's more familiar to us, community water fluoridation. For me, Mehul, what's so exciting about High Five is that it really pushes us to think about those non-health interventions, non-public health and non-health care interventions that are really so critical to improving population health. And High Five pushes us to work with other partners who work in those non-health areas. So it's really an opportunity to think outside the box, right, to get out of that public health box and not ask these other sectors like housing and community development and transportation to help us do our work of improving population health. It really challenges us instead to approach those sectors and say, how can we help you accomplish your goals because the accomplishment of your goals is really going to advance population health, right? Early childhood education, health impact in five years, supporting and leveraging the work of those other sectors to get their job done. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a subtle difference in approach, but it's so important to approach it in the way of us being a resource for them to help them accomplish their goals rather than asking them to uh, help us accomplish our goals. I can see a whole host of questions that come up with the idea of getting involved in sectors that we were previously very minimally involved or not at all involved in at all. And I think it'll be an interesting time, again, speaking to the fact that the need for some of the leadership capacities and skills that we discussed earlier. Is there anything else you want to say about High Five? No, I think, think that covers it. I do encourage folks to, to click on that link and learn more about it. Perfect. Now we're coming up to the end here, but before we end, I want to ask you if there's anything we missed or anything we want to reiterate before we close. The one point, Mayhul, that you brought up, we touched on a little bit, and that I just want to emphasize is communication how we talk about our work, and how we explain in clear and compelling ways that unmet need, the proven interventions, the outcomes that we achieve, and the further potential for health improvements. It really is an area that we haven't nailed in public health, and we tend to kind of revert to a jargony way of speaking, preaching to the choir way of speaking. And I think we have to really hone our ability to make that compelling case to a broad, broad population coming at public health from multiple perspectives. Yeah, often people in public health come up with the perspective that, yeah, of course they're being inclusive, they're addressing issues like disparities in health equity, but I think it's important to really ask the questions, how inclusive are we if our messages and our communication isn't resonating to a lot of folks? So I think that's a great point to end the show on. Dr. Ursula Bauer, thank you very much for being our guest on the show today. And thank you for listening to today's Learn, Lead, and Thrive podcast. We touched on a lot of material today. We talked about the importance of the how we get their vision, collaboration, and exploring all the aspects of collaboration as a spectrum. We talked about some lessons learned in the healthcare systems transformation world that we can draw from. Please check the Learn, Lead, and Thrive President's Challenge blog post at clinicdisease.org where we will be posting links and to resources and references that we reviewed in the show. And thank you for listening and tune in to other podcasts in this series where we will continue the conversation with leaders and experts.